This morning, I invite you uh, to turn with me once again to the book of Daniel. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have some Bibles on the back cart that you can use to follow along or follow along in the insert, as I say each and every week, the passage for today is listed in your insert. I want to thank Pastor Voles for uh, standing in for me last week uh, in my absence, and um, <clears throat> it's good to be back with you this morning, and uh, it's good to be back in the book of Daniel. Those of you who have been here know that we have uh, <clears throat> been studying this book for now several weeks, and you might remember those of you who were here two weeks ago uh, that we began really what was a new section in the book of Daniel in our study of this ancient book. Um, a new section as we entered chapter 7. We moved away from the, the narrative portions of the book of Daniel, all the stories that we remember, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, to this apocalyptic portion, uh, to these visions and dreams of, of crazy things that Daniel uh, gives us. And one of the things I said two weeks ago when we entered into the second half of the book of Daniel and this apocalyptic section is I wanted to define what apocalyptic literature is. And I explained it as the unveiling of the end of all things. And I read to you a definition that I want to read to you again because some of you weren't here two weeks ago. But apocalyptic literature is the revelation of the ending of this present age with a vision as to what is to come unfolded in complex and mysterious imagery in order to comfort and exhort the faithful. And that definition is important because it will keep coming back to it because this is the purpose of all this craziness is to comfort and exhort the faithful. Audience number one, Daniel and the, and the people of his day, the Jews of his day, the Jews who were languishing in exile for many years. Audience number two, by way of the Holy Spirit, you, me, the church for all time, in all ages. And so in chapter 7, I communicated that human history is beastly, but that God reigns and so will we. Well, today as we move on into the next vision with more images, this time the images are interpreted for us, at least interpreted for us in part. Uh, but as one commentator that I read this week helpfully wrote, the trouble is not in understanding the vision, the trouble is accepting the vision. And of course, we find that true. I find that true Whenever I read God's Word, and, and, and often my heart's posture towards God's Word is not one of reception and openness, but it's one of, yeah, let me just get these facts down. And so I encourage you, we're not here to get facts. We're not here to merely stuff our head with knowledge and history. Though I want you to understand, we're here to accept it, to hear it, to understand it, and by grace to believe it to be comforted, to be exhorted by it. So this morning as we turn to Daniel chapter 8, I'm going to invite you, if you are able, if you are willing to stand in honor of God's Word as I read His Word this morning, Daniel chapter 8, this is the 
entirety of the chapter, verses 1 through 27. Listen as I read, Daniel chapter 8, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the providence of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was in the Uli Canal. I raised my eyes, and I saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat from the west came across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. And I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great, even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and it trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of hosts, and the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown, and a host will be given over to it together with a regular burnt offering. Excuse me, and a host will be given over to it together with a regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and hosts to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it, and behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near to where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened, and I fell on my face, and he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the, end, the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and he made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. 
And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many. He shall even rise up against the prince of peace, prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for many days, for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Glory. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Are we there yet? Mom, Dad, are we there yet? It's a question that is fielded by parents all across this planet every minute of every single day. It doesn't matter if it's by plane, by train, by automobile, or by horse and buggy. The yearning of our little ones to know what's around the corner, how long do I have to wait, when is the end coming, is the same. And we can't blame our kids, because the fact of the matter is, knowing helps. (laughs) Knowing helps. It helps us to endure. Knowing when the end is coming helps us to be content, gives us direction to what we should be doing now. We drive up to Linden, uh, my family and I, my folks live up there, and so we drive up there several times a year, and I have fielded this question so many times in the Hitchcock van that I know pretty well and can be quite accurate in my answer. If we're at George Hopper Road in Mount Vernon, we've got exactly 50 minutes to the door, kids. If we are at Cabela's, we've got exactly 25 minutes to the Hitchcock home. When it comes to our lives, the psalmist, as the psalmists do so well, they express the emotion of our hearts. They express the, the cries of our hearts. They give us language to speak to God about what we're experiencing, about what we're feeling. And the psalmist cries in Psalm 94, 3, O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? 
Well, here in Daniel 8 this morning, the Lord is beginning to answer that question. Though on a much grander scale, in a much more sweeping statement than even they can imagine. But as he does this, he's, he's steadying them. He is girding them up, but not just by telling them what is coming and how long, but that in his sovereignty, he knows exactly when the end of it all will be. And so I want to unpack this chapter this morning for the next few minutes, centered on two truths this morning. And the first one is this, evil may have its day, but God will have His way. Evil may have its day, but God will have His way. You see, in this vision that we find in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel is receiving a very specific outlook for his generation and the generations that are subsequent to his. I mean, this is specific stuff. It's, in, it's interpreted for us here, and now as we sit here in 2018 on the other side of these events, we can look back and we can see the history. This is a passage, in fact, that drives critics of the Bible nuts because it is such an accurate piece of predictive prophecy that they say there is no way that Daniel could have seen these things when he saw them and wrote them when he wrote them. Because they happened exactly as he said they would. And we who know, we who know the Lord, we who trust in His Word, love when God's Word confounds the so-called experts. But as we talk about the specific vision and not just the historicity of it, the reality of this vision is that if Israel thought that the Babylonian uh, reign and a return from exile under the Babylonians meant for them full restoration was around the corner, one of the things God wants to communicate to Daniel and to his people, is that there's so much more to come, more than they could see. And that's what this vision is about. God's people are asking, are we there yet, Lord? Are we there yet? And the Lord, through Daniel 8, says, not yet. Evil will have its day, but I will have my way. It's the very first takeaway from this vision. There's more rule, there's more conquest, there's more evil, there's more suffering to come. In God's providence, the beasts are going to reign for quite some time. And that's mysterious. But that's the truth of His Word. Well, Daniel received this vision in about 550 B.C. The Babylonians at this time, remember we've jumped back in chronology from where we were at the end of chapter 6. The Babylonians are still in power, and this vision of chapter 8 is two years after Daniel has received the vision of chapter 7, which we looked at just two weeks ago. And in this vision in Daniel chapter 8, three very specific and familiar superpowers 
are laid out for us. And while Daniel is given the interpretation, there is still so much that Daniel doesn't understand that we, sitting here when we do, have the advantage of seeing fully. But let's look at the specifics. So first thing Daniel sees is a ram, a ram on the banks of a canal. It's a ram in Babylon. Babylon was known for its irrigation canals. Psalm 137, by the waters we sat and wept, God's people cried out. We've looked at that psalm before. This is a ram in Babylon. This is the soon-to-be invader, the Medo-Persian Empire. And its two horns are familiar to us because they represent the strength of, of two military powers, right? The Medes and the Persians. And the higher one represents the majority power, the, the Persian power, the stronger of the two. Remember the, the hunchback bear from the previous vision and how one side of it was, was taller than the other. It's just another beast to describe the next superpower that is coming. Because Cyrus will unite and lead the Medes and the Persians and defeat Babylon in the year 539, and the Medo-Persian Empire would reign in this region for 200 years. Well, then comes the goat. A goat. Daniel sees a goat from the west, and he's told that the goat is the king of Greece. This is Alexander the Great, because Alexander the Great, history tells us, will come from the west. And why is the goat floating? Because he's coming with such speed. Remember, he was a leopard in the last vision. He was a leopard with wings because Alexander the Great's conquest was so swift, so powerful that he took over his enemies quickly with amazing speed. And Alexander would come and would claim this land for himself and he would spread his conquest all the way to India. 1.5 million square miles would be his empire. And then at the height of his power, Alexander would die. And four generals would take over the land. Four horns that Daniel sees. This empire would reign for 250 years, and one of the four generals would, would lead the Seleucid dynasty, and from that power would come the third thing that Daniel sees, a little horn. Now, two weeks ago when we talked about this, because the little horn was in the last vision as well, we speculated that this might be Antiochus IV, and indeed, that's who it is. Antiochus IV was his name. And he came from one of those lines of the generals that broke off after Alexander the Great's great empire. And he ruled the glorious land, as Daniel calls it, the land of Palestine from 175 to 164. And he did so with an arrogance that essentially gave, gave the finger to his creator. He was a tyrant. The coins of his day, archaeology tells us, were inscribed with the phrase Theos Epiphanes, meaning God himself, or excuse me, God manifest. That's, that's who he thought of himself, God manifest. 
And Antiochus IV wanted everyone under his rule to adopt Greek practices and religion. He ended all temple sacrifices for the Jews. He banned circumcision among the Jews. The sign of the covenant was, was illegal. And in defiance, he sacrificed a pig in the temple of the Lord. His reign would kill thousands of Jews. These are the stars that are thrown down that Daniel speaks of, that Daniel sees in his vision. But even more than that, Daniel's given this visionary language that describes that this is, this is more than just an earthly thing going on here. This is more than just history that finds itself in our history books. There, there's a cosmic rebellion here. Antiochus IV is, is pitting himself against God himself as he mocks God and his worship, as he slaughters his people. This is a spiritual battle. He's pitting himself against the host of heaven. Well, that is the history of the passage. That's the future for God's people. As Daniel received this vision, as the people of God heard this vision, evil will have its day. But we're not here just to learn history, and I try to go through it quickly so I wouldn't bore you with dates and names and history, because this passage has not come to us this morning as just mere historical facts. What possibly could be gained from this? Well, let me suggest a couple things that provide, going back to our original definition, that provide comfort and exhortation to God's people, both in Daniel's day and to us here today. Because yes, as we talked about two weeks ago, the beasts and the kingdoms and the superpowers are all different now. Those specific men, those specific powers, that specific time and place, that's not us. But we have our own evil. And it's having its day. And we need to hear from the Lord. So the first thing that I want us to take away from this first point is that one after the other, these kingdoms rise and fall in the knowledge and at the direction of the God of Israel. We've said this before. It's what I'm trying to say through the phrase, he has his way. Not only will he have his way at the end, he is having his way now. Things are not out of control We don't understand it. We don't need to understand it all. But we know that the God of the Bible knows the beginning from the end. He numbers, He limits, He precisely controls. He actually gives a number. In verse 14, He says, For 2,300 evening and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. And we think, commentators think, that that Morning and evening of morning sacrifice, evening sacrifice, that that's three and a half years that Antiochus 
the fourth will shut things down in the worship of God, but God's people will be restored. So that specific number, that specific equation meant something for Daniel's day, for Daniel's people. But even for us, as we think about our evil and we think about our superpowers, this is why I titled the sermon, Sustaining Sovereignty. Because it's His knowledge, His control, His rule and reign over all things that really does give hope to a people. (laughs) Even to a people languishing, grieving. To a people who don't understand. The gospel that we have sung about, the gospel that we have read together and reminded our hearts of, declares that evil is done. Its days are numbered. The clock is ticking. Jesus, in His death on the cross, in His resurrection from the dead, has destroyed the enemy. And it's just a matter of time. John has this spoken to him in his vision in the book of Revelation. News about another beast, a beautiful beast. In chapter 5, John is told, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. And I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Admittedly, we don't understand the timetable. Its fullness may be farther away than we think, than we hope. It certainly was for Daniel and Daniel's people. But God will have His way. And that's the first thing, which leads us to the second takeaway. This is not the second point. This is the second takeaway. And that's this. This could be a long haul. This could be a long haul. We're an impatient people, right? I'm impatient. Just drive with me once and you'll realize how impatient your pastor is. You've got issues, Nate. That's what I hear a lot in the car. And it's true. I want quick fixes. I want short struggles. But Daniel and his people, Daniel and his generation are given a picture here of a future that they can't even count. There is still much to endure. And even with the coming of the Messiah that would come hundreds of years later, God's people would still have to wait as we await and long for the fullness and for the restoration of all things. And the teaching of the New Testament is that we are in the last days. But don't forget that those words were written 2,000 years ago. And so in 1000 AD, many thought that surely, surely the end would come. And in the 14th century, at the Black Death, the plague that took out 30 to 60% of Europe, many thought, well, this is it. This is the end. Even Martin Luther 
was convinced that his generation was the generation in which the Lord would return and the end would come. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus may come tomorrow. I hope he comes this afternoon. We certainly can pray to that end, but we may still be generations upon generations away. And that doesn't diminish His promise. That doesn't diminish the hope that He brings. We know that He will have His way. And indeed, He is having His way now as He holds the hearts of kings in His hand. And so in a world that is increasingly becoming anti-God, anti-truth, anti-worship, yes, our kids even might enter into a culture where this kind of open worship is problematic. I pray that that's not the case. But I think this passage reminds us that we need to guard our hearts and our lives, that this may indeed be a marathon. Evil may have its day, but God will have His way. Well, one more truth briefly as we close that I want us to see from this passage, and it's this. When evil is having its day, carry on. When evil is having its day, carry on. I know that's not very exciting, but I think that's the truth that we can learn here. How would you have responded being shown all these things, cosmic events on a huge global scale years and years into the future? Some you understand, some you're given answers to, but much you're still scratching your head about. And while the, the final verse is not the, fine, is not the primary point of the passage, I think Daniel's reaction to all this is helpful for us to see. And in fact, at least one pastor preached a whole sermon on the final verse. Verse 27, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for many days, for some days, And then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Real quick, three things instructive for us from that one verse. Notice that Daniel didn't understand it all. Even Daniel, God's servant, the recipient of the vision, he understands some of it, but he can't possibly understand it all. God didn't fill him in on every detail. God didn't settle every curiosity that he had. And at the end of the day, that's okay. And it reminds us that that we, though we search the Scriptures, though we study the Scriptures, though we long to know all that God reveals to us, we don't need to know everything either. Deuteronomy 29 is not just a seminary scapegoat verse. It's true. It's reality. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. And the revealed things belong to us and to our children. 
So notice that Daniel didn't understand everything. Secondly, notice that he was appalled. He was overcome. He was sick. Of course he was. There's, he was confused, and he wasn't happy about this. Who would be happy about this kind of vision? Impending suffering against his people for generations to come. Generations of conquest still left for the people of God. I mean, all of that was no doubt a hard pill to swallow for Daniel. But I think Daniel's actions remind us to not lose our disdain, our hatred. It's okay to be appalled and to be sick that evil is having its day. We ought to be because we are people of the truth. And so let's grieve, yes. Let's cry out, how long must evil have its day? And let's pray earnestly for His return. That indeed, this wouldn't be a marathon. Let's make it a hundred more yards, Lord. Well, finally, Notice from verse 27 that Daniel got back to work. Daniel went back to work. Those of you who are here for the discipleship hour, you heard Bob refer to this in the lengthy quote that he read. Martin Luther was asked once what he would do if he knew the Lord was returning the next day, and he said, famously, he would plant a tree. John Wesley, another great name in Christian history, was asked a similar question. He got out his diary, he looked at his engagements for the day, and he said, this is what I'm going to do, what I plan to do. One author summarized Daniel's response beautifully. Here's a quote. He says, Daniel had seen the future. He had, he had seen the future, but he did not go around ranting like some wild prophet of doom, nor did he set up some lucrative end times ministry. He just got up and went about the king's business. And why did he do this? How did he do this? Well, he knew he had plenty of time. But he also knew that as he was going about the king's business, he was really going about the business of the king of kings. You see, I think Daniel's response to this, this grand vision that evil is going to have its day, but God will have his way. Daniel's response is reminding us that there is value to what we're doing here and now. Our work, your work, no matter what it is, as you work at it with all of your heart to the glory of God, is not meaningless, but it is bringing light and life to a world in need. And it is anticipating the restoration of all things when the Lord will have His way in fullness and the kingdom will be here with us because the King will be here with us in fullness.
That's good news. As Bob said, that's something to get you up in the morning and go to work. Brothers and sisters, I don't know when the end is coming. This passage doesn't help us know when the end is coming, but it ought to comfort us. It ought to exhort us that though evil will have its day, we are called to carry on in faithfulness, knowing, trusting, believing, resting in, anticipating that God will have His way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning for this vision that You gave Your servant, for its interpretation, for its application to our lives. And I ask in humility that You would take that which is valuable, Holy Spirit, and use it in the lives of Your people for the glory of Your name. In Jesus' name, amen.